Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today is a special episode. I'm here with Corey Schmidt, Chief Revenue Officer at Wonder Mobility. Welcome, Corey. Hey, Gunnar. Well, happy to be here. Corey, you are about to publish your first book. It's called Brand Primacy, How Google Made Companies the Kings of Content. Congratulations. Thank you very much. How did that, how did that come about? Yeah, so really it was my, my interest in, in SEO marketing and, and branding that brought that about. That's why I started doing the research on it. And what I really wanted to find out was why, why were companies struggling so much with uh, a lead source that was maybe their, their top lead source. So that's, that's really what drove me to get this book. And I think this is very relevant for a lot of us in mobility. As the whole ecosystem here is emerging, a lot of us are providing tools and services into it. And there's a lot, lot of B2B interaction. But also we're going to talk about the role of brands in B2C, where everybody's talking about profitability and, and how end users are typically not loyal yet and how do we build brand authority over there. Give us the takeaway if you don't uh, mind. So we will still buy the book after. But what's the <laughs> what's the key learning? What is happening in terms of building brand authority? What role does content play in it? What role does Google play? How has that changed in the last years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, content content is huge for for Google, and that that has really shifted over the last the last ten years or so. One thing in my journey is I started out in software companies where. We didn't really understand so much of, of organic search. So the, the marketing team really wouldn't understand their, their number one lead source. And, and SEO is this black box. And we would have agencies or we'd have some in-house folks, but we wouldn't really be able to, to tell you know, what really drove our organic results. I mean, part of the reason why is because the algorithm isn't something that's, that's public um, from Google. But it, and another thing is 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 really the the kind of complexity, the difficulty ar around it, and and how how things just aren't simplified in terms of um, say creating great content. So what I I did is I went to a a publisher, and I knew that they were doing great SEO. It mo essentially, what they were in is a publisher, an SEO publisher. They would just convert organic search traffic into revenue using banner ads and and advertorials. In one case, they wrote an article that had 10 million clicks in a year. So they, from, from Google. So they're really adept at this. And, and what they focus on was, was the content side of it. And this is something when I, when I speak at marketing conferences about, about SEO, I always make sure I emphasize is that marketers understand content. They just need to, to focus it on, on Google's audience. That's, that's really key. And all that technical, all the technical things around SEO, that can be done as well. But Marketers can really can really do SEO when it comes to content, just like the editors at uh, the the publication I worked at. They they weren't technical guys, but they were content focused folks. So you're basically pointing out how, in a B two B context, most of the leads, typically the vast majority, are from quote unquote organic traffic, but that's also actually influenced. It's not so well understood how to influence it. A lot of people, of course. When they hear about SEO, they think, okay, I put the relevant keywords on my website, but that's not anymore what drives brand authority. Um, that This kind of went through evolutions and through some stages. How do I drive traffic today? How do I build brand authority today from, from your understanding of how Google works? Yeah, Inter interesting. So if you read 
Sergey Brin and Larry Page, the founders of Google, if you read their, their first journal article they published on Google in Stanford in the 19, late 1990s, called the uh, Anatomy Large-Scale Hypertextual Web Search Engine. They, what they did is they went over how they, they came about coming up with Google and, and what, what, what Google was and how Google differentiated itself from, say, the other search engines of the time. So if you did a search back in the 1990s, and, and I did a lot of them, uh, early 1990s before Google, you would be, typically be pretty frustrated with your search. You would find things, it would take you a while, you have a lot of banner ads. We take Google for granted now, but Google really created a much simpler experience for, for its users. And what Larry Page and Sergey Brin did is they, they thought of a search engines like, say, an academic paper. So what they found was that academic papers that linked out the most, so cited other articles the most, weren't as authoritative as the ones that were cited the most. So the, the most authoritative articles that you could find are the ones that everybody cites when mm -hmm. it comes to a certain topic. And that's how they approached Google. They, they said, okay, I'm going to take these domains, these, these websites that are pointing to this one topic, this they all point to this one website, I'm going to take that website as the most authoritative, rather than the one that just puts keywords inside of its, its, its web page, which is what a lot of the other search engines of the time were doing. And so what is really important there is Google gave a better experience to, to users of the search engine. And that is something that they continued to improve upon the user experience of, of their, their product over time. And I think that's also something a lot of people have maybe heard about or participated in that you need backlinks into your website and then maybe you have a barter deal and you backlink each other. You somehow try to collect those. It's also yeah, kind of more mechanically influenceable, not necessarily a predictor of your actual value to a reader or actual brand authority on a topic. So there was another evolution somehow. Yeah, that's right. There was there was a big evolution. So 2009 was the the Vince update, and it's it's often dubbed as the day big brands won. And what the Vince update did, as well as some other updates that happened before that, is it focused on on rather on backlink stuffing or keyword stuffing. Rather, it focused the um, focus on user behavior, and in, in particular with the Vince update, it. it kind of put brands up higher than, say, other websites. And so, you know, you have uh, these, these three maybe pools of, of what SEO is. Um, so you have the technical things like rel canonicaling or the robots.txt file and all these other technical things. And usually a very technical SEO person or maybe like a web developer will really understand. So that's maybe a third of the pie. Another third of the pie is the backlinks. The backlinks are still very important to your domain authority. But the other third is your content and how are users engaging with your content. And that was really, that was really the key evolution since the backlink buying kind of went by the wayside. When Google figured out that the websites were just buying backlinks and just ignored those backlinks and only focused on real relevant backlinks, it's the content part, that third piece that really gained a lot of popularity. And so in a kind of wide space like ours, or at least an emerging, evolving space, a new mobility, lots of also new players coming to the scene, new products emerging, topics, words that get created. Micromobility, for example, wasn't a word some years ago. Now there's opportunity to build brand authority to own those areas. And I think that 
Um, let's talk a little bit about pra pragmatically how we are trying to do that in, in, in some areas here at Avunda, how we traditionally and then things evolved when you also came in last year and there are roles here now that didn't exist before and we're not only spending on performance marketing and then having also some offline formats like existed before, but you, are, you put more emphasis into the creation of content in different channels to drive our authority. Can you give some examples of what's happening there now and maybe some results that you're already seeing from it? Yeah, so it's, it's really key that you have the performance marketing and it's usually a short-term effort, right? It's, and it does take a while to build those, those things, but it's by and large a short-term effort. If you, you don't really get that much out of it after you, you, somebody fills out a form, there's not much more that goes on from a marketing standpoint. But that long-term part, and, and that's really what we would call the branding part, is, is so key. And that's something, that's something that had been invested in before at, at Wonder. But what I did is I, I kind of focused it around these, these topical domain authority, uh, the topical domain authority. So one company that did a really great job of, of capturing the search audience in the past was, was HubSpot. They, they're the ones after the Vince update that really started creating a lot of content for a search engine audience. And what they did is, so, you know, they, they are in marketing automation. So what they did is they started building content for a search audience for a certain search intent around marketing automation. Of course, they sell marketing automation. So it's basically, what is it? And then why are we the best? And then fill out a form. But what they did is they started to build content around that topic area. And that was, that was important. So email management is something that they, they would write about. So they would have an email management article that talked about email management. And what they were really looking to do was to solve the search intent of the Google user. And this is something in the, the approach of, of the, the, in, in the book, this is something that I notice a lot of times is you, you get a lot of marketing teams that think about the blog audiences is, is direct. And actually, most times, if you look at analytics, it's not direct. It's a lot of times it comes from Google and you really, that's what you really want. So it's really Google's audience that you're looking at here. You have ownership of it, but you're really looking to solve this, the search intent. So India. What impact do you think this work had for us so far? Let's say we, 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 we are on this um, track for about a year now uh, when you close to a year, um, not fully, when you came in and started to influence this. In our example, and could be true for, for others playing in the, in the space, what are some like challenges we, we were facing and then what is this doing for us? But also just kind of a bit of maybe out of magnitude, like what's the investment we have to put behind in terms of, for example, people or roles or so? Yeah, yeah. So the, the long-term, I mean, really the long-term branding effort a ton really went into that. And one thing I noticed when I, when I came here, when I interviewed, that is that the, the brand was already in a very good place. So that's something that is, is very important to me as a sales and marketing leader to have the brand already be you know, really, really ready to go here, really, really ready to be evolved here. It's much easier for me to build a performance marketing operation than it is for me to build a good, solid brand. So I, I noticed that the, the brand authority was really there and I, and I just needed to kind of evolve certain things. So three, three main things. Um, so the, the messaging, so getting, getting it more focused on wonders customer rather than wonders customers customer. 
and they were, I think, one of the brand brand messaging when I got here was really great at the B two B to C side mm-hmm. of where of what Wonder is, and also some of those the older B two C elements that were there in the past. But I needed to just get the messaging to where we would be talking to our customer, our and, and saying, you know, hey, we're here to mentor you. We're here to to get you to the next level in in what you're doing. To really focus on on what their needs were and giving them social proof and making sure that the messaging was very consistent across um, all channels. The next was the evolution of the the brand visual elements. And so what Wonders brand before kind of still had a little bit of a feel for me, a little bit of a B2C feel to it. And what I wanted to do is just give website users um, or audience in, in the other channels the knowledge, the understanding that they were in the right place when they came to wonder that this is this is where they needed to be. So one thing would be we use uh, some blue colors because that's more for software vendors. You would, would see uh, blue colors inside of uh, software vendors, brand colors. And we also used elements of where our customers saw their customers. So if you look at Wonder's branding now, you see, say, elements of stoplights in cities or shapes of things that you would see in cities like streets and things like that. The third part of the, the brand evolution was the content, the thing that my, my book talks about. So mm-hmm. Trying to get content areas built around the really core general search term that, terms that we need to convert in our business. And the problem we were trying to solve with that, I think, is to drive more traffic to have more leads in a space that is, by and large, not huge. Basically trying to, to drive everyone who's interested in the topic to us and then yeah, give an impression of authority on these topics, not just directly the product, but related topics um, for him. Yes, exactly. And, and to, to really to lower... The cost per acquisition. Yeah, I mean that's really it, and, and to and to get traffic that we normally just would never get 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 users who Google users who would we just normally wouldn't have the opportunity to grab. So, you know, if you you go in the search engine, I mean, thirty percent of clicks go to ads. The rest of the seventy they go to the organic results, and we wanted to capture that traffic. We also wanted it in, in a more a cheaper and a more sustainable way. So we wanted to make sure that we could we could be more scalable. To make an investment here that would pay dividends over time, but really also to enlarge our pool because that was kind of a little known fact maybe here also before how um, most of the traffic is through organic and performance marketing is just limited in that. That's probably generally something every B2B product can leverage for themselves and build their authority. What's your view on operators and people dealing with end customers in new mobility? What role does brand play over there or even content creation and, and driving traffic? Is there a place for that or does customer acquisition run very differently? In- yeah, and it, I, there, there definitely is a, a place for it. So first of all, brands have, those brands have an advantage in that they're, a lot of times their, their vehicles uh, are on, on streets and people recognize those brand, brands readily. But I mean, there are other things you can do, you know, to, to tell maybe the brand story, the story of the brand and, and, and what, what you want the, the feel of the brand to be. And you can do that through a lot of different places. And, and one to also get, also get more, more traffic, more, more users is social media. That would be in, in some of the traditional B2, B2C 
channels and, and maybe some of the maybe some of the newer ones as well. Um, so kind of getting your your content there out, out there and making sure that it's it's consistent with your brand, your brand messaging, what you want to project there, and, and really making an investment in that and a conscious effort there. The other thing would be in CRM. So a huge advantage that that operators have is they have this massive user base. I mean, they, they have, uh, you know, to, they can send emails, they can do in-app notifications. And that is a, a good place to, to kind of make an investment here. So, you know, you, you can't tire your audience out, right? You, you want to make sure that you, you're not sending them too many messages, but maybe a trade-off could be, say, a promotion right? Hey, we were going to do this promotion, but instead we're actually going to look at a long-term effort, which is our brand. We're going to tell our brand story here and we're going to find a way to tell our brand story here. And maybe it's in a combination with a promotion, that's fine. But trying to use that audience, leverage that audience to get more brand loyalty, to make it stickier. So the next time they're looking for Kickstarter or Moped, that they go to your brand. Or that brands can then charge premium, which is known as brand equity, right? They can put a higher cost to, to the service because of the brand. I think these are some really newer terms for many people in the industry at the moment. And some that I, some people I know in the industry, like explicitly maybe don't believe that it's possible to charge a premium. I think this is an A to B and, and people will go for proximity and the best price and I can't prove the opposite at the moment. I think the jury is out, but it's quite clear that when you talk about mobility vehicles, for example, have these strong brand stories and you have like a, many people have a very clear picture in mind of what kind of person drives the Volkswagen, drives the BMW and so on. And that translates into clear loyalty and premium and so on. And in mobility service that doesn't exist, what kind of person rides a Lime versus rides a Felix scooter, for example? Has that even ever been formulated of like what we're trying to portray there? Even maybe it didn't get across, but maybe not formulated in the first place. So I think that's a very interesting story from when you take a step back, this bigger picture of profitability for operators, making these systems at scale by, by, by being profitable and more mainstream. Is it necessarily just that they are all um, interchangeable or can there be a brand story and then maybe a feeling associated by the consumers with riding a certain vehicle that that's currently, I think for the most part, not the case and maybe a yeah. big untapped opportunity. Yeah, I think huge. And you know, the, you said what you said at the beginning was, was really important is, is who, who are, who is a, a, a user of this, who is a rider of this brand, who is, is a line person and, and really who are the question really, and from an operator standpoint is who are your customers? Mm. Really understanding who they are, finding out who they are, looking at the psychographics, the behavioral things that they do, and really trying to understand what they are, what who they are, what they're doing. And then that can really lead your your brand, your brand evolution that you have to have. And every brand has to have an evolution. And that's really important. It's something that I really want to get across here is that for a lot of the, the operators out there, it's really important that you pay attention to these things in, in your, with your brand and that you evolve it over time. You know, a lot of times a brand is thought of as, you know, I, got, I have a logo, I have a name, I have a domain. Okay, that's, that's it. But it really is an evolution. The messaging, the look and feel for the users needs to match who they are. So understanding who they are first and then, you know, and that changes over time who your, who your users are. 
but really making sure that that is then given back to the user, that they understand that and then they have the loyalty. Who they are and how you would like to make them feel. Now, I remember if we talk from our own experience within the last 12 months, one of the first exercises your team did was mapping out those personas of who our customers are. And my initial reaction when I saw some of those was that maybe it's not actually diversified enough. So how come maybe then there's not a woman included or it's like certain age groups and so on and um, eventually and she had but it was very skewed and the reality is that we imagine we try to build a brand that probably more fits for everyone and in reality the buyers of those solutions at the moment were often certain more narrowly defined profiles so we we were able to probably target better by really having those people in mind but it was a bit controversial in the beginning because like we We see a target set and we think, wait, wait a minute, there are a few people missing. But if we really think about, go back into our own data, who these people are, they are often, um, target groups are more homogenous than we would like to believe, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and one thing that, that ends up inevitably happening in, in marketing teams or in companies in general is the brand becomes a reflection of the company, the people in the company. Mm -hmm. It should, that should yeah. have, there should be an element of that. But in that case, I think that's what happened because I think yes. vulnerability is, is quite diverse. So it's, it's a company. Extremely diverse in terms of nationalities and, and everything. And and then, uh, yeah, the people were, were selling to, uh, there's a lot of repetition in who currently is buying software for mobility. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so what, one thing really important that you mentioned there is getting those customer personas done, making sure that you actually wrote out who they are. So if you're going to describe your customer to your friend, you know, one of one or two of your customer segments to your friends, how would you describe them as a person, right? You know, so you wouldn't describe them with using psychographic language. You would say, you know, certain things that they like to do or what their what their aspirations are, things like this. Like what what and also, I mean, one thing that helps is also to kind of put a stock image of like what you would think would be kind of close to where they are demographically as well and, and maybe like the setting that they would that they would be in in the customer persona and that really helps everybody in the company the product team sales team everybody in the company really understand the customer much better and and that helps the marketing team kind of focus on okay this is who this is who we're talking to here this is what we need to this is how we need to engage and that could shift that could shift the brand that can really help help evolve the brand because then now you're speaking to somebody And you're speaking to a person. It's about the people. And yeah, maybe in the in the B2B side, I think something that we do is we oftentimes the B2B brands kind of kind of focus on them themselves, right? Focus on you know their their themselves. I think a lot of times B2C now, I think with a large amount of data, we're really looking at kind of data sets. But really who we're marketing to and and, and the brand, the people we're talking to are are people. So really that I think those personas really help get the marketing team, get everybody else focused on on the people, the, the customers. Yeah, and then also maybe push out the content that these people like to spend time on so that we eventually get assigned the um, authority that drives <laughs> the traffic. I see a lot of opportunity here. We think we, we also try to do a lot. We're still learning a lot. The jury is out as to whether brands will really play a big factor in new mobility on the consumer side, I think, in the future. I think that's fair to say, but I hope they will. I think that will drive a lot more value into the into the industry. Uh, you're just, you're going to publish the book, I think, in the summer. 
in time for vacation time. <laughs> Brand primacy, uh, how Google made companies the kings of content. So anybody who's interested uh, to learn more how that actually works nowadays, how that evolved, this could be a good one to take on vacation. Thanks for spending the time today on the podcast, Corey. Okay, thanks, Gunnar.